Good. So good. Like I said, if you're a guest here, family, friend, check in Fathom Church out on what this house is about. We just welcome you and excited to, uh, to dive into the Word this morning. I don't usually uh, uh, preach on, on Mother's Day. Um, I, I usually toss that to my beautiful bride, and she's, just, she's become just an excellent communicator and teacher of the Word in her own right, as she did a few weeks ago. Um, but as I was preparing for 2018, I do a preaching calendar kind of for the whole year, which weekends I'm going to speak and which weekends somebody else will take care of. I was preparing for that in um, the fall of last year and really felt compelled that God had me to share today. And so I'm really excited to dive into God's word with you. But I do want to take a second to honor the mama of my house, the mama of this house, and my bride. Um, we've got three kids, for those of you that don't know, seven, four, and one. And, um, and they are blessed, blessed uh, children. I'm a blessed uh, husband and father to, to serve alongside you. I'm extremely grateful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I just want to speak to the women in this church. You're blessed because of the example that she leads. You are to have a godly pastor's wife who serves and leads well and paints the way and paves a path for what it looks like to be a godly wife, to be a godly mother. She's an example, exemplary for any woman on the face of the planet. And Proverbs says that he who finds a good wife um, finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. And we, I'm blessed and highly favored because of the wife I've been given, and, and you're blessed and highly favored to have uh, this woman. She, she doesn't have uh, fancy credentials before her name, and, and she doesn't have fancy letters after her name. She doesn't sit in our staff meetings. She doesn't lead a department or team, but her leadership is profound. Um, her example and her gospel witness, whether it's on the playground or in the pulpit, she's an incredible witness. And so can you just show some love to the mom of my house and to this house today? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you uh, for that. I love her dearly, as you can tell. We're going on 11 years this year, and it just gets better every year, and she gets better every year, and so I'm just excited just to honor her and just honor all our moms in the house. We really, I, I want to speak into the heart of all of us. This text we're going to be going into, I think, speaks pretty deeply to all of us, no matter where you're at, what you're going through. Um, but, man, I, I would love to, to take a couple hours and just go from Genesis to Revelation. Don't worry, you're going to get to lunch. I'm going to be short today. Uh, but I would love to take a couple hours and just do a gender study on women from, from Genesis to Revelation because it's pretty f- profound to see how redeeming the New Testament is for women. Like, I, 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 there's, there's not an error that's been more transform, uh, transformative for, for women than the New Testament era. Um, I don't have time to get into all of it, but I'll just say this much. The Gospels present to us that the only people that were faithful at the crucifixion and at the cross and there at the grave were women. The first one to see Jesus was a woman. And just know in that society, that was a big deal. That wasn't just like a small detail. That was a profound statement. Uh, the first person to, to declare and to speak out of their mouth to be an evangelist of the resurrection of Jesus was a woman. The first word out of Jesus' mouth post-resurrection, woman. There is a, a profound redeeming uh, truth of what the New Testament speaks about 
women. And so we honor you today because the New Testament lifts you up and, and pulls you out of an error in which you were property and to which you are uniquely created uh, to labor alongside um, husbands and men in the church to carry the gospel forward. And I'm thankful not only is our church blessed to have a, a, a spiritual mother of the house like this lady, but uh, so many mothers and, and, um, and women in our church, I honor you all who, who are discipling uh, others between cooking dinner and putting the kids down and you're calling and you're pouring into people. And so I'm so thankful we would not be here without your faithfulness to carry the, the gospel forward. And so I, I'm really thankful for you. I want to go into a text. I was reading here in in First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians, chapter eleven, um, not too long ago, and, and I saw this text, and it's Paul talking about his struggles. But when I began to read it, I'm just like, this screams the life of a mom. As I'm reading through, it. like verse one, he says, "I hope you will put up with me." Like I don't know how many times I've heard a mom in yoga pants and the hair not quite all put together say, "I'm just gonna have to put up with me today." <laughs> I've I've heard that a time or two. In verse two, I'm jealous for you. Like how much does a mom just like want to just spend time with her kids and, and moms today? What do you want more than anything? I just want to be, I just want to be together. I don't, I don't need anything. I just want to be together. So I'm jealous over you. In verse three, he says, I'm afraid that you might be led astray by, by some other teaching. How many moms are, are in the house and you're worried about the influence that people are having on your children, that they might be led astray into some kind of false sense of self and truth. Uh, verse 23 is screaming, uh, mother life to me. I've worked much harder. He goes on to say that, hey, he's been, he's been beat with 39 lashes like four times. Uh, he's been stoned once. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's like, life is hard. And where's the moms in the house? Life is hard. It's, it's, tw- it's a 24-7 job, is it not, Right? I was just joking with somebody this morning. I wasn't joking. I was telling the truth um, that, you know, like waking up with a baby in the middle of the night, like, um, you know, I, I sleep right through it and, and she's never been one to like hit me and like, you know, because she was, you know, feeding and different things. And, and so it's a 20, it's a 24 seven job, never shuts off. Verse 27 is screaming motherhood. I've labored and gone without sleep. Come on. Some of y'all are in the thick of it now. I've labored and gone without sleep. He said, I've been, I've been naked before. I've been, there's been times I've had no food and drink. You can go back to that. He says this in verse 28. I face the daily pressure of my concern. He's talking about the churches. Become a mom's. Face that daily pressure waking up. That daily pressure of concern. And, and I, don't, I, I think this extends beyond motherhood because this is Paul, a man, and his concern is for the church. And so I think it extends to men. I think it extends uh, to singles, to, to um, uh, women who are, are not mothers. Um, I, I think it extends to us all because we've all been in this place like, who's weak and I don't feel weak? He asked this question. He's like, this rhetorical question. He's like, if you're struggling, I get it. <laughs> if you're weak, I get it. I'm, I've been there. I've been there. And I think many times the enemy loves to isolate us and us for us to believe we're the only person that's weak. We're the only person that's been persecuted. We're the only person that's got a struggle, an insecurity. We're the only person that's got it. The enemy would love to convince you you are the only one. But I'm telling you today that you're not, that this parenting thing is hard for everybody. This marriage is work for everybody. 
Like if you're starting a new business like that, that's hard. If you've started a new job, it's hard for everybody. And this Jesus thing that we are called to follow him, the struggle's real for everybody. It's hard for everybody. And sometimes we have this picture painted that everything is going to be easy, right? And you see what this dream of what motherhood might be like and holding the child. And you realize it's, it's not all like that. Sometimes you're getting thrown up in your mouth and you're having to hose your kid down because of how they mess themselves, right? It's not all like the pretty pictures that you, they show in the hospital. There is, there is a struggle that we all get. There's a struggle that we all experience in this life, a certain burden that we carry. But God loves to take the burden and turn it into a blessing. And I want to speak to you today out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10, but I really just want to look at verse 9 and just share a couple of things, and I'm going to let you go get some lunch. We'll keep it short today. Um, we're going to read 7 through, through 10 here. So he, he go, he's <clears throat> earlier in the text <clears throat> of chapter 12, He's talking about this revelation, this vision. It's kind of funny. Like he, he's talking about himself in third person. Like he's like, I know this one guy who had this incredible revelation because he didn't really want to come off boasting about it after he's just gone through all his weaknesses in chapter eleven. And he, he's kind of telling this incredible vision, this incredible revelation of kind of being taken up to heaven. He's like, I don't know if it was in my body or just spiritually, but I had this incredible experience. And then you get to verse seven. He says, "To keep me from being conceited." And because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But this is God's response to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more glad I'll boast gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me and that is why for Christ's sake I'll delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I'm weak then I'm strong what a, what a powerful and profound text for all of us today because we all feel like it's just us that's going through that and we've all been in a place where we've pleaded with the Lord to take something away from us, whatever that might be. And I just want to share just two quick things to you today and just let it get into your heart and let God do his thing and, and let me get out of the way. I think this speaks profoundly to us that his sufficiency is our focus, not our insufficiency. And if we, if we read this wrong, I'll boast in my weaknesses. That doesn't mean that it's our focus, we boast in our weakness so that there's a, there's a purpose in that vulnerability. We'll talk about more in just a second. But our sufficiency cannot be our focus. It must be his sufficiency. But come on, like our life is that we are always focusing on what we do not have, on where we fall short, on the struggle we're going through and what Paul is saying and what God is saying to Paul in response to begging God to take it away. He's saying, it's, I'm sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. I, I asked some moms this week, I kind of put them in a group kind of message and said, hey, I asked them a couple questions. And the first one was, what's the hardest thing about parenting? What's the hardest thing <clears throat> about parenting, about being a mom? And, and they came back with these responses. I think we've got them on the screen. It's the hardest part of being a mom. I kind of had to summarize. I wanted like a real like 
short statement and I got paragraphs because <laughs> it was to women, but um, <laughs> we're uniquely created that way. Guys with less words in their vocabulary, women with a lot more. Um, the first response, here's the summarization, my summarization of all these, these statements, because I saw a thread just right through My inability to fix everything for my kids. My inability to show affection I've never received. My inability to control their decisions. My inability to keep them forever. My inability to to be the perfect mom. My inability to be the mom I just want to be. My inability to get away from them. Come on, somebody. You know? It's the hardest part. You can't get out away from And the last one, my inability to prevent negative influences in their lives. Like, I don't have to, like, show you the thread. Hardest part is our own inability. And God's response to him is said, hey, this ain't about your inability. It's about my ability. It's about my sufficiency. And God wants to speak something to our hearts today as, we've, as we struggle, as we fight with the thorn in our flesh and plead for it to be taken away. God wants to speak something into our lives individually today because uh, <clears throat> God wants to, God actually delights, God gets more glory <clears throat> through our weakness than he would our very perfection. And, and I don't want you to, to misconstrue that. I think theologically you could, could contort that and contort, that's not a word, distort that and turn that into something else. But that's what this text is saying, that God receives glory, and it's, but it's not until we can recognize and understand the depth of our insufficiency that we can understand his sufficiency. We, we, let me say it another way. We cannot understand the depth of his grace until um, it, it can't be understood without our insufficiency being understood. The, the sufficiency of God's grace cannot be understood uh, without our insufficiency being understood. And so that means when you feel like you're getting at the end of your rope, you're getting to the beginning of his grace. And so if you feel like when you're getting there, good news, his grace is all sufficient. We were doing a devotional with our kids. We have this incredible devotional. We're going to give some of these away at our kids' weekend coming up this summer at the end of June. It's called Indescribable. It's 100 devotionals, and it's like all like through a lens of science and how incredible God's created the, uh, the world. And we were looking at this one, and it was talking about uh, renewable versus non-renewable resources, you know? And, and a renewable resource is God's strength a non-renewable resource is our strength, right? And even though it can be renewed, his never runs out. Like ours, we, like there's a day we're running out of resources. We're at our wits end. Like you've said it before. And how, how many times, moms, you got to live that. There's so many dynamics. There's the pressures that you face every day, just like Paul is saying he's facing as a minister and as a pastor of churches. He feels that pressure so but we've got to get to that place there was this thing a long time ago time ago called um uh, now discover your strength it's a very old book there was these two authors and now it's called strengths finder there's some other people that's kind of rewritten that work you might ever heard of strengths finder or taken strengths finder 
right? It, it's a workout there. I'm actually going to take our staff through it this summer. But um, it, there's actually Strength Finder 2.0. And basically, here's the thesis behind the original book and what's continued through the other works is a person ought to focus more on their strengths than they fo- focus on the weakness. Like, it's going to be better for you if you look to highlight and get better at your strengths as opposed to constantly focusing your attention on limiting our weakness, right? But, but think about your life. Think about what you, you do. Do you, do you live in your strengths or, or, or do you just always try to minimize your weaknesses? What's your focus more, to live in your strengths or to minimize your weakness? And I don't know if these guys are believers. I don't know kind of what their background is, but I believe there's a deep theological truth to their thesis. And not only do I think there's a deep theological truth to it, I've found personal freedom through that exact thesis. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying in this text. Is if you'll quit focusing on your weakness and focus on my strength, not on your insufficiency, but my sufficiency, if you'll just know that and know that it's, there's enough of God's grace for you and your weakness and the thorn in your flesh and whatever you're going through, when I do that, I begin to find freedom. I begin to find just incredible freedom. And, and I'm saying this from my own heart and my own experience in which I tried to kind of cut down this certain sin or I tried to really break these habits that I know were not God honoring and, and I tried to do them in my own strength but what I was doing is simply a moral modification model. I'm just trying to get better, trying to get better every day but some of y'all, th- there's little language but the language says something about how we think and, and what's going on in our heart and so think about how you say, I'm just going to get better that's not understanding my insufficiency. That's my, me trying to get better with my weaknesses, okay? I'm not saying, I'm just gonna trust God's gonna help clarify some of this stuff in which we could distort it if we wanted to. But that's not what he's saying here. He, I've found the greatest freedom when I focus my attention on his goodness, on his grace. And I can get caught up in this world where I'm constantly obsessing over my weakness, but it's a shame cycle, you see, this moral modification model, it's a shame cycle because I fail and I fail and I fail and then after a while, I'm a failure. This is who I am and that's, that's shame, right? And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and God doesn't want us living with this, this giant ape of shame on our back and, and taking the monkey off the back is by not leaning into a moral modification model which will not, we will not receive salvation through. It's a gift of God, and when I can receive the gift that is the gospel, that is where I'll find freedom, because it's no longer about my weakness. It's about his perfection. It's no longer even, the only way I can achieve success is through Jesus, right? And so if you founded your life on any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says that we are insufficient by our own good works, then there is good news today. You can get rid of that shame by bringing it to the feet of Jesus, confessing sin and declaring him as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of your life and walking into new life. Paul Paul is talking about this this thorn. He he references this thorn, and we can think of a thorn just like a little thorn. We get our finger or something. But really, the understanding of this thorn is a stake, a large tent stake, maybe even a railroad stake. We don't know. But something big, it was painful in our life. And so I would just ask you, what's the stake in your life? 
Because Paul doesn't say what it is in his life on purpose so that we can fill in that blank of what that thorn is for us. So, so I, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you. Like some, some people think for Paul, it was something in his physical body. It was a, it was, that was the thorn. Like he might have some kind of deformity or like he was scarred from persecution or, or he, he walked with some kind of limp based on being whipped and some nerve things. That, there's all kinds of things. Some people think it was a lust of the flesh that he, he was constantly tempted and found himself you know, uh, not wanting to do the things that he wanted, or not doing the things he wanted to do, but doing the things he didn't want to do. Now, personally, my actually belief is that he was actually talking about people in his life that were persecuting him. His thorn was a, was a person. It was probably a few people. And he pleaded, and he says it three times, but really this is just a kind of a, a Greek saying to say over and over again, I've pleaded with God. A thorn that big, you don't just pray a few prayers. <laughs> It is a constant, God, just take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. But he said, I was, it was given to me. It was given to me that God is even using that which is coming against us. And, and God loves to use what's a burden and turn it into a blessing. He, he loves to take uh, what is broken and, and, and allow his, his glory and his love to shine in that so that all the world might see the goodness and the glory of God. I mean, if you need examples of, of how God loves to use weakness, just read the Bible. Like, he showed that he, he is strong in the midst of Moses' speech impediment and insecurities. He, he showed that he could use a murderer when he called Abram, and he felt so greatly, but God didn't remove the call from his life. He said, move forward and go to the land where I'm going to show you. He just keep going, pressing into the promised land. He showed that he could use an adulterer in, um, in David. He, he showed that he could use a prostitute in Rahab. So no matter what kind of baggage, no matter what weakness or story you come into the house today, I want, I want you to know that his grace is sufficient. And that ought to be our focus, not our weakness. The, the second part of what I want to share from this text is about vulnerability just this much right here. Vulnerability in our weakness releases God's supernatural power for our weakness. Let's go back and read verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what I was saying. It's not in the strength when we're, per- it's, it's made perfect in that strength. Let's go back to that vulnerability in our weakness releases God's supernatural power our natural tendency is to touch up the photos before they come out. Our natural tendency is to paint ourselves in the best, best light, to hide our weakness, to boast about our strength. And there's a spiritual discipline of secrecy that we were talking about in some of our roots group this past week. But th- there's a, a deep truth to this vulnerability thing. The Latin word for vulnerable, is it, this is where it comes from, is the word vulnus, which means wound. means wound. So to be vulnerable is to let people in where you're hurting. Is my ability to show my wounds. And most of us, we, we cover those up. We, 
We stay in the addiction so long because we stay in silence so long. That's the first thing in AA. You got to say it out of your mouth what you're going through. And the same thing is true. I mean, we look at James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing happens through the confession, through opening up on the wound that is going on. So if you've been hiding, which is natural for humanity since the time of Adam and Eve, what did they do when they sinned? They covered themselves. We've been hiding in shame ever since. And the good news is Jesus, that it's not in our strength or in in the image that we put forth, because God knows your heart. You're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. God, his opinion matters so much more. We're not fooling him when we lie and we put up this false image of how we really feel, what we're really going through but it's, it's vulnerability that releases the power to, to find healing and freedom over that weakness in our life. But so many times, we just cover it up. We just constantly cover it up, and God wants to set us free. But what this text tells us is that as we do that, is we boast all the more about our weakness. That's not, that's not walking up to everybody and be like, dude, I just want to tell you how terrible I am. That's not doing that, Right? Um, it's, it's knowing I don't have to be afraid to say where I'm struggling because I believe God's grace is that strong to love me still. That my life is not built on my perfection or, or what you think about me. It's built on, on his grace and his strength and his sufficiency. So I can tell you I'm broke. I, I, can, I can tell you that I've been battling this for 20 years. I can tell you that on a one-on-one basis, and, and I'm not boasting on that, but so that I can say, but God is so good, and I trust in him, and he is sufficient for what I'm going through. Sorry, we had a lot of eye contact there. It was really good. <laughs> it was really good, but I apologize if that made you uncomfortable. <laughs> He's not going to sit there anymore. I just know it. He's not going to sit there anymore. <laughs> Um, it's, it's the truth and so say pastor what, is this, what does that look like it doesn't mean of like throwing everything on social media so everybody knows your baggage right that's a pretty bad idea actually um, it, it's having trusted people in your life that you're letting in not everybody needs to know 100% somebody needs to know 100% if you want freedom over 100%, then somebody needs to know 100%. If you want to be 90% free, then confess 90% of it. If you want to be 50% free, all right, so what's, what's the gap there? And who in your life, is there somebody that you can just let it in? Because you're not going to start getting freedom over any of that stuff. You're not going to start getting healing over any of that stuff. And so we, we acknowledge it. and Because when we're willing to acknowledge it, that's the point in which we believe God's, good, God's grace is strong enough. And before that, that's really, that's really the issue. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a belief and faith in God's character and his goodness, that it's good enough, that it's sufficient enough. And so God, there's some wheels turning in the house when I start talking about percentages because you're like, somebody doesn't know that percent. I know there is. 
Um, but God wants to do something in this house today, and he wants to do it in your life. And we, he wants us to boast in his sufficiency and in his grace. And that's what he says. It's what he says to Paul after he's like, I've, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And it hasn't been taken away from me. And God pointed him to his sufficiency. Not to, yeah, if you would start doing this, 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 and this. If you'd stop doing this and you'd start doing this, right? That's kind of the advice we give to people, isn't it? When they're confessing a weakness. Yeah, well, if you would just do this and you'd stop doing this, but if we can just reel that back, and, and the first thing, we can help them walk through some wise and discerning steps in just a minute. First place we need to start is, I want you to know God's grace is, is enough for you. No matter the season you're in, no matter what you're going through, God's grace is enough for you. And I love that, that the scriptures don't fill in the gap on what the thorn is because all of us face a different one. It comes with the human condition, and the human condition wants us to paint ourselves in the best light, but our redeemed position wants to paint him in the best light, and for him to get all the glory. And the way that happens is through vulnerability, and I, I believe that we live in a generation, I was actually watching uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee or something, the Netflix show with Jerry Seinfeld, you might watch that? It's a great show. It's just like comedians driving down the road talking about life. And uh, somebody asked Jerry Seinfeld, hey, have you seen this one movie? And he goes, I don't watch movies, man. He said, I can't handle the fake anymore. He said, I can't do it. I can't handle the acts anymore. I can't be fake. I just, and I'll just tell you, there is a generation in our nation that is starving for real. Starving for something genuine. Not the painted up perfect images. That's why like there's a brand called Airy that's a women's clothing stuff. I don't know what all they do, but um, they started doing retouched images and they got a great publicity and put pressure on other people because they were the first one to say, we're not gonna touch it up, we're not gonna cover it and make up. These are what the women look like. To be themselves. And, and to speak directly to women in the house that you felt like you've gotta be into some whatever. Like God's grace is good for you, who you are. He has created you in his image. And, and the journey from that brokenness of hiding and shame to finding freedom and healing, not on what we think it's going to look like, but who he has called and designed us to be, that is where he is drawing us into with his love and his grace. And I know all across this room, you're thinking through the percentage, you're thinking through a ton of things. Uh, there, there's a lot I could do to, to wrap this, but I, I just want to speak this much. Because our engagement and our embodiment of God's grace in this generation will determine how the next generation will embrace it. Our, our engagement and embodiment of God's grace will greatly impact how the next generation will embrace it. And so walk in his grace because it's sufficient. Embody his grace because it's attractive. The most beautiful call in you is to be a graceful woman of God that's been transformed by it, to be a graceful man of God who's been transformed by it because it's going to impact the, the generation. When we're starving for real in the media, in politics, we just want something that's real. And there's nothing more real than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you to stand all over this place.
And if, and if you're in this room today and you're processing your weakness, you're processing your weakness and you realize that all you've been thinking about this week is how terrible you are. If you've been thinking about your inability in every category, thinking about where you've fallen short in every category, I want you to know there's healing, there's freedom in that. To look it in the face and say, it's not about my inability, it's about his ability. It's not about my insufficiency, it's about his all-sufficiency. And so with every head bowed, will you just bow your head with me today, eyes closed. And I just want you to ask yourself in your own heart right now, where am I at in my relationship with God? Where am I at in my relationship with others? Am I living out a, a real, authentic faith? Or am, am I just a Christian in title and I'm not a Christ follower with my whole life? I want you to ask yourself today, like how, who knows 100%? And the deepest question is, do I want to be free? Do I want to walk in freedom where our focus is no longer our inability, but it's about his glory, it's about his grace, it's about his goodness. If you're in this room today, just with every you know, head bowed, eye closed, and you just say, Pastor, I've, I've been kind of faking it till I make it. Um, I, I can't get my mind off of where I've fallen short. I, I, I can't get my mind off my insecurities, my inabilities. Will you just raise your hand? Can you do that today? Just raise your hand. Minds are minds high. Nobody's looking around. Just speak that from your own heart today. I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you today, church. It's sufficient. If you're in this room today and just with every eye still closed, you say, Pastor, I, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but... I, I want to walk in this life that he has called me to. He's known you before you ever began, as we talked about these little babies. He's known you, and he has a plan for your life. But it begins with repentance, saying a recognition of my insufficiency, of my weakness. Say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If you, if you don't know him today as a personal savior, maybe you've been running from him and want to come home today, can you just raise your hand just so we know today what God's doing in this house, what he's doing in your heart?